the normal functioning of a, of a male sexual response is like stimulate, stimulate, stimulate until there's an ejaculation and then there's the refractory period and, and it's kind of all over after that. So obviously that soundbite is a myth of male sexuality and it can be really damaging when we perpetuate these myths. Today, Cam Fraser and I go deep on the many myths of male sexuality. Cam is a sex coach and he works with men on helping them expand their definition of sexuality and their experience of that sexuality. This is a big episode in terms of how broad and deep we go on these myths. We explore how men can take their pleasure to the next level. The idea of separating orgasm from ejaculation. How men and their partners can talk about sex in a more positive way. How to begin to get to know your partner sexually. How to approach lovemaking as a ritual or ceremony the importance of taking orgasm off the table and rather focusing on building an orgasmic environment. How to make sex free of performance and how to co-create a lovemaking session that makes sense for both people involved. This is a big episode and I am excited for the month of May where I will be bringing you episodes on sex and sexuality. My name is Sean Galanos, and this is The Love Drive. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. All right, Cam, could you please introduce yourself? So my name is Cam Fraser. I am a sex coach and... I work with men and I help them take their sex life to really the next level. So I help them break free of shame, guilt, and anxiety with regards to their sexual experiences and help them get to this shame-free, pleasure-oriented, self-fulfilling, uh, pleasurable sexual experiences. So that's my, that's my passion and that's my purpose at the moment. And yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to, to be here and, and share a bit of that with you and the audience today. That's awesome. I'm really glad you're here. The first thing that, that popped to mind is, you know, how you said something about helping men experience pleasurable sex life. And I, I have to imagine that most men think that the sex that they're having is pleasurable. Yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of men think that they're, you know, they're, they've reached their capacity for, for pleasure, but um they they don't really know that there's there's more out there and in fact a lot of the guys that come and see me uh to do one-on-one work they they express to me that they've only they feel like they're only really scratching at the surface of sex and they feel like there's there's more out there so i think more guys are waking up to this idea that there's more to sex and there's more to pleasure and there's more to um sensuality and their their own personal sexuality so um yeah but i think for a long time guys have been like oh yeah, this is it. This is kind of all I'm expected to experience. And 
and I'm I'm kind of content with that. Um, but I think slowly this this paradigm is shifting a little bit, and guys are waking up to the fact that no, there's actually more out there, uh, and that they can experience way more than what they're experiencing at the moment. When you say this is it, you mean the this sort of the standard idea that that the male orgasm is is short lived and located around the genitals like the sensations don't really spread across across the body versus like a female orgasm that's that's a lot more expansive and lasts longer is that right yeah totally man yeah i think you you hit the nail on the head there like there's this quote-unquote standard narrative of sexual encounters or sexual experiences and the you know the kind of the normal the normal functioning of a of a male sexual response is like you know, stimulate, stimulate, stimulate until there's an ejaculation uh, or, or sometimes called a peak orgasm or an ejaculatory orgasm, which is really like a, you know, a five-second sticky white crotch sneeze. And then there's the refractory period and, and it's kind of all over after that. Whereas there's this, you know, uh, expectation that female orgasms or women's orgasms are, are these full-bodied, uh, multiple amazing experiences and i think that's you know that's been perpetuated quite a bit not only like through through media but also like through scientific literature as well like there's been like no studies on male multiple orgasms or or male arousal or or a lot of that sort of stuff whereas there's been all of this academic literature released on on the study of female orgasms and female pleasure and female arousal and desire Uh, so i think there's like this yeah, this this narrative being played out, which is saying that men can't really experience a lot of pleasure, just that five second climax, but women can experience this huge, multiple, full bodied experience. I think it's doing people a disservice, and I think it's particularly doing um, men and and couples a disservice as well. So one of the myths is that you know the male orgasm is short lived and it's located in the crotch and and it's not very exciting. What are some of the other myths that we might have about male sexuality? The first kind of myth with regards to all that is this idea that men can only experience orgasm through ejaculating. This idea that orgasm and ejaculation are the same thing. Uh, But we know from studying the body, we know from understanding how ejaculation works, that orgasm and ejaculation are two separate physiological processes and that men can orgasm without ejaculating and they can also ejaculate without orgasming so i think this like um the fact that this is not you know no one's educated about this like no one no one's telling us this you know as young young men we don't learn this you know whenever whenever receiving this information in our sex ed classes so that's i think that's a huge uh, huge assumption and a huge myth that that needs to be debunked and there's um you know, that opens up the world of possibilities with regards to men and their sexual experiences once you start to let that piece of information sink in. The way I understand it is that orgasm and ejaculation, like you said, are two different physiological responses, but they're sort of stacked one on top of the other. And so to most people, they are the same thing. Orgasm comes with ejaculation. There's no way to separate them. And that's not true. Right? The the research that I've read in the books that I've read, which is mainly just the multi-orgasmic male by Montauk Chia, you know, demonstrates that, yeah, they happen really close to each other, but there is a way to begin to develop the awareness 
that ejaculation and orgasm are two different experiences that can eventually be sort of parsed out and experienced on their own. And I, I, I'm guessing that it's easier probably, and, and none of this stuff is easy, but it's easier probably to have the orgasm without the ejaculation than the ejaculation without the orgasm. Yes and no. And you, and you hit the nail on the head with regards to Mantak Chia's book. Like it's an amazing resource. And a lot of men that come and work with me actually reference Chia's work uh, and say that's kind of what got them into this whole idea of being able to experience more, uh, more pleasure is, is this idea that you can separate the two. And and there's plenty of techniques and exercises out there and every every coach and sexuality teacher has their own way of of uh, looking at it um, and working towards the separation of those two things. The orgasm without an ejaculation, definitely achievable and definitely easy, but also not easy. Like uh, there's things that you can do that will make it a bit make it a bit more um, accessible to you. But then there's, you know, there's plenty of times that um, that men in their life may ejaculate and not have an orgasm such as uh, wet dreams and nocturnal emissions. Often those are ejaculations without orgasms. So, oh, that's um, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's often, a, and that's often just a natural response in the body as well. Just a way of engaging the nervous system, for example, because ejaculation we know is mediated by the sympathetic nervous system. Um, and a specific cluster of nerves in the lower back. You know, when we're sleeping and we enter that part of our nervous system, the the natural response in the body sometimes can be to ejaculate. So um, it's really good to start like, you know, I, I do, do, do a lot of sexual education, I suppose, with the guys that I work with because it's really good to understand how the, the processes of the body work because then you can start to you know, either biohack or troubleshoot or start to um, you know, experiment and explore your, your pleasure and the way that your body works. So, um, yeah, that's that, that whole ejaculation and orgasm myth is huge because we start to then look at like, you know, what does, what's the social significance, right? Or the, the intimate significance, the erotic significance of ejaculation. Like what does that mean in the context of a, of a sexual encounter with another person? And for a lot of, people ejaculation because it's a so closely associated or at least conflated with orgasm it's a signifier that the man or the male is having having a good time right that he's that he's enjoying himself right it's a, it's a signifier that he's climaxed and orgasmed so so to signify that he's he's experiencing pleasure and it's also often a signifier of the end of that sexual experience as well sometimes in fact most times i would argue after a guy ejaculates, he'll enter his refractory period, and often that refractory period will go for at least, you know, say twenty minutes, and that'll be the end of of that sexual encounter. Often, guys don't go for round two straight away. So, because of that, because it signifies those two things: a man's pleasure, um, or at least his gratification, I suppose, and also the fact that it's the end of sex after that, uh, which it doesn't have to be, but it often is. We start to see things play out like, for example, in a heterosexual interaction, if a woman is not necessarily enjoying herself and wants the wants the interaction or the sexual encounter to, to kind of come to an end, she'll do everything in her power to make him ejaculate, to make him come so that, you know, because it's a signifier of the end of sex, they'll cease to, to kind of uh, be intimate after that. So there's there's this like whole mythology i suppose or cultural significance around ejaculation which um which no one kind of really talks about or thinks about um until ejaculation is kind of taken off the table right so maybe there's a 
maybe there's a, a medical reason or a physiological reason that that a guy can't ejaculate, for example, and when that happens, there's there's these these stories that start to pop up in our in our heads. So, like for a guy, often the first thing that comes into his head if he's having trouble ejaculating, uh, or if he can't ejaculate, is oh my god, what's what's wrong with me? Am I am I broken? Am I not? You know, uh, am I am I not doing something right? Is there something wrong with me? Um, and then once that kind of story runs its course, uh, a secondary narrative kind of comes in, which is like, oh no, nothing's wrong with me. Something's wrong with with her, for example. She's not she's not hot enough, or she's not doing this thing that I like enough, or she's not being vocal enough, or whatever it is, or, or she's not doing that thing that I saw in porn, or or some other type of um, you know, blaming kind of mentality. Uh, but women have things pop up for them as well. These these stories pop up for them when there's no ejaculation involved um, for whatever reason. And the the first kind of story that pops up for them is is often, oh my God, what's wrong with me? Am I am I not hot enough? Am I not good enough? Am I not uh, am I not doing anything for him? Like he he doesn't like me. What's you know you know because it's a signifier that a guy is enjoying himself, right? Um, so if he's not enjoying himself because of the indication of ejaculation, then then she must be doing something wrong. But when that story subsides for her, oftentimes another story comes up, which is like, oh, something's wrong with him. I'm fine. This guy's weird. There's something wrong with him. He, he's broken. He's he's doing something wrong. Um, and so there's this, this like self-blame, but then also partner blame or other blame. Um, and oftentimes that's that's never even spoken aloud. Oftentimes it's just kind of all internal dialogue that then creates a little bit of, uh, I guess, a little bit of tension, a little bit of resentment, maybe a little bit of frustration, and um, and can create like big rifts in a in a couple's or at least a partnership's sexual relationship. Yeah, those narratives are are sad because they're not true. Yeah, we just need to have like conversations about them and start to realize that they're that that you're right that they're not true. I mean, they might be true. It's true that maybe I am not as attracted to my partner. And so that's preventing me from reaching orgasm. That might be true, but for the most part, it's not that that's not the story. That's, that's really what's, what's going on is that there's a lack of communication. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And, and like, even if, for example, uh, you were you know less attracted to your partner and that was causing you some, some issues with regards to, a, to, to orgasming or, having an ejaculatory orgasm at least having that conversation you could say would be beneficial because then there's like opens up the door to have a conversation about okay well what what does turn you on what does uh give you pleasure what does allow you to experience that pleasure um to get you to orgasm um so even just voicing that although it can be hard to hear and also hard to to say to someone who you're you're intimate with can facilitate more pleasure in the long run because you're actually able to then open up dialogue about what might be able to to give you pleasure and what it is that you know what it is that you're looking for really and this should be sort of mandatory right the ability to talk about sex with the person that you're having sex with mm. and it's not because no one shows us how to do it you know our parents didn't show us how to do it they didn't they didn't tell us they didn't tell us how to separate orgasm from ejaculation and they didn't they don't tell us how to talk about sex yeah yeah no one's no one's telling us anything really no 
And we're having to do this on our own. We're having to take workshops. We're having to read books. We're having to find resources that support the idea that the more you talk about sex, the better you are at sex because you have more information. And right now we're talking about orgasm and you and I both know that orgasm is not the goal and we can talk about that later. But if, if orgasm is what you want, then the best way to achieve that is to share with your partner what usually arouses you and what usually turns you on. And then what you have is a better understanding of what turns on your partner and what turns them off. Yeah. Because what, what works for one person doesn't, we know doesn't necessarily work for somebody else. Mm, 100%, man. Like there's a really good, there's a really good model from sexological research known as the dual control model of, of sexual response. And like it sounds really fancy but at the end of the day it's really just like your arousal or your sexual energy or whatever you want to call it is is divided into two systems right your sexual inhibition system which is like everything that inhibits or dampens or douses your like sexual arousal and your sexual excitation system or everything that excites you that turns you on uh, so you've got these turn-ons and turn-offs and you can you can start to to kind of like you know do like a a little list right of start to write down all the things that you know turn you on and all the things that you know turn you off and like there's some things that are pretty universal turn-offs for example like we know that the sensation or the feeling of disgust is a pretty universal turn-off a lot of a lot of people can't uh can't feel aroused or find it very difficult to be aroused if they're feeling disgusted by something so but then there's like a myriad of individualized and personalized turn-ons as well and turn-offs. Um, so yeah, just using that like a very simple model of being like, okay, I'm going to write a list of everything that turns me on. I write a list of everything that turns me off and then comparing notes with your partner and just saying like, oh, hey, look, we've both got these things that are in our turn-on list uh, or we've both got these things that are in our turn-offs or, or vice versa. I've got something that turns me on that actually turns you off. And, and so you start to have this conversation and be like, okay, well, how can we integrate uh, more of these turn-ons into our sex life and how can we mitigate all of these turn-offs um, or as many as possible and where can we compromise? Where can we, where can we bring in one and maybe substitute it for the other uh, and, and start to like explore and experiment? I love this and I'm guessing that for people who don't have the language available, this is a hard conversation to have with your partner if you've never talked about this stuff. Because it's loaded with a whole bunch of shame, right? That we should already know the other person's turn-ons and turn-offs. That we should know even our own turn-offs and turn-ons. I mean, oftentimes we don't even ask ourselves the question, what turns us on, what turns us off? And so there really has to be a level of courage involved in having this conversation with your partner or with your new partner or with the next person that you have sex with. Because... You know, I can imagine that some people are are going to fear rejection or are going to fear a response from their partner that they're not ready to handle or don't know how to handle, right? We, we often fear what we don't know or what we can't control. And so having this conversation sounds to me like it could be scary to some people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I'm not, I don't want to sugarcoat it and say that it's easy. It might come easy to some people, but yeah, for a lot of us, um, because we kind of live in this, this pleasure negative fear oriented culture when it comes to sex and sexuality there you're right there is a lot of shame and and fear 
revolving around any type of sexual expression. And I work with men particularly, and and a lot of the time guys are expressing to me that they feel like they have to shut down any type of sexual uh, experience in their body or sexual um, expression in their body because they don't want to be seen as or they don't want to be perceived by people around them as that guy, that guy that talks about sex or that guy that's like overtly interested in sex or that's too sexual or, you know, that creepy dude um, who's, you know, who's in touch with his sexuality. Like there's a real big stigma for men about about being the the sexual guy. You know, they there's a lot of guys that are that are worried about, you know, you know, just quote unquote being that guy. And there's a lot of shame around that. Like, um, you know, there's a lot of shame for women as well about tapping into their sexuality. There's just this stigma for pretty much human beings in general that we've created for ourselves um, about, you know, about tapping into sexuality and, and being free to express that. So, so yeah, it's, it's difficult to have these conversations and, and a lot of that shame and, and, and also trauma from, from ever expressing it before and being told that it's dirty or wrong. Um, can hinder it, can hinder those conversations. So it's really a, a process. It's not like a, it's not like a do these things and straight away you'll be you'll be great at them. It's it's a journey of being like, okay, what do I feel comfortable talking to now and talking about now with my partner, and and celebrating that little step that you take to have you know that little difficult conversation. And then as you do that and become a little bit more comfortable. Talking about one thing, you might be able to then feel comfortable talking about it a little bit more and, and exploring a little bit more with your partner or with yourself even. Um, so it's definitely a, a process and a journey and um, and one that I encourage kind of everyone to take. But with um, yeah, with that mentality that they don't expect it to just change overnight. Yeah, and I agree that we want to find people that are safe and that we can explore having these difficult conversations slowly one step at a time yeah yeah i think um i think there's so much value in just slowing down and and being able to have conversations before you're even thinking about being sexual as well right you know having um having an exploration in terms of in terms of uh, talking about what you find arousing before actually diving into something and and having to kind of figure it out in the moment i think there's a lot of value in that so two things. One, I just want to I just want to name the fact that there's a, a there's a big difference between being that guy who talks about how many chicks he banged and being the guy who says, oh, "I had a really amazing sexual experience yesterday and I learned all these new things about myself and about my partner and I'd love to share that with you if if you're open to it." Those are two completely different ways of talking about sex. One is about like conquest and one is about um, curiosity and exploration and sharing. And we want to foster the second and we don't really care how many people anybody banged. Um, that's not what's important. So that's, I just wanted to name that. Yeah. Amazing. And, and can I, can I add to that as well? And, and say that I think a lot of guys and, and working, you know, working in, with groups of guys as well, who, um, maybe come from your quote unquote more mainstream background feel like it's socially acceptable to be the you know to, to express themselves the fir- in the first way that you described to to be the to be the conquest style to to express themselves that way that's like you know that's the way the the kind of 
man box culture or the locker room culture we've created um, encourages guys to be sexual. You know, a lot of guys when we and I've I've been in this situation as well when we express this uh, softer, maybe gentler, as you describe, you know, more curious, exploratory side of our sexual self that is often, you know, ridiculed by other guys, ridiculed by by the men that we talk to. Um, you know, that I'm I'm just thinking back to my days in the locker room playing sport and if I ever wanted to express something that was, you know, not not just about gratification and fucking and numbers, then um, I was, yeah, it was ridiculed and shut down and, and a lot of guys have, have felt the same. So I, I definitely agree with you that we need to cultivate the second uh, because there's a very strong ingrained um, way of expressing in the first way that you've mentioned that that needs to be needs to be uprooted i think yeah i could actually see the scenario where you try to describe an experience in which you had like you know it's very fulfilling and loving and and someone can yeah could ridicule you or call you a fag for saying that yeah yeah totally and that's sad it's really really sad because because sex is amazing and pleasure is beautiful and it's such a, a phenomenal way to connect with your partner and with yourself. And I, I don't know why we would ridicule that. It's a mystery to me as well. Yeah. For me, in my current relationship, the sex that we've been having has been deeply healing and we all could use that. Yeah. Yeah, how is it how is it healing? What are you doing that's making it healing? First of all, we're slowing way down. Mm. We're approaching almost every lovemaking session as sort of a ritual, a ceremony. A lot of intention around just like spending time together and being close. Right? So candles, music, often we'll like make an altar and just make the time really special. And then and then we just connect for you know, a number of hours. And it's not about performance. It's really just about seeing one another. And I think when you spend a lot of time in that space, that space of intimacy and vulnerability, you can't help but open up. And when you open up to that level, all sorts of things come up. I mean, that, that's what happens when you open up, right? Emotions come mm. through. And sometimes it's sadness, sometimes it's pain, sometimes it's fear, joy, ecstasy, bliss, and it's often a blend of all of these things. And it's often not even useful to name what is coming up, just emotion. And I just haven't ever, I haven't been seen the way I'm seen this way. And a lot of that comes out through sex. Mm. Yeah, that's beautiful, man. And and there's, um, yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of, a lot of value in 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 taking time taking time to to connect with another person taking time to explore the other person's body to explore your body to explore each other's so i think uh yeah i think the the idea of just slowing down and and not being goal oriented or like you said not being perform having that performance mindset is is such a game changer for for people when they start to you start to shift their sexual experiences into that rather than being, you know, let's say orgasm focused or ejaculation focused, ejaculation centric, which, you know, which a lot of the, particularly a lot of the men that I work with 
tend to be tend to come from that way of of experiencing sex you know i i often ask the guys that i work with when was the last time that you masturbated or had sex and didn't ejaculate or chose not to ejaculate you know there was nothing else going on and most of the time you know, 90 plus percent of the time guys will be like what are you what do you mean like what what's what's masturbating and, and having sex without ejaculating like, isn't that the whole point and it allows you to ask the question you know is there an underlying drive or is there an underlying really desire or goal just to be sexual so that you can fulfill that desire to ejaculate fulfill that desire to get a little squirt of dopamine and and have that instant hit of gratification and for, i think a lot of people are you know i think sometimes it's not even so underlying i think sometimes it's even quite overt some people just want to fucking get off you know and that's yeah it's doing it's doing people a disservice right it's not it's not serving it's not serving your your body it's not serving your partner it's not serving your experience of pleasure and and the way to kind of stop doing that is to pretty much what you've just described is to slow down is to turn your self-pleasuring and partner-based pleasuring into a into a ritual practice like you would your your yoga practice or you would your meditation practice or you would your whatever you know you would treat it with reverence and and respect and and do the things that you need to do to make it to make it amazing and to make it beautiful and to make it special uh, there's yeah that's a really amazing thing to do and it's exciting it's exciting to meet somebody else in that space in that space of vulnerability and exploration where we don't know what's going to happen there's no script right you know, for me, the traditional script is sort of like make out oral sex, penetrate orgasm, pastrami sandwich, mm. you know, that script is done. It's, it's totally out the window now. I mean, it, it might be erotic massage for an hour. It might be uh, just holding each other and talking. It might be, it might be oral sex. It might, you know, oftentimes we don't know what, what's going to happen, right? It's a co-creation. Mm. And we, mm. we often say, you know, what do you, what do you desire? What do you want? Sometimes she says, well, I have a, I have a fantasy. Okay, well, let's talk about it. And sometimes we can make it happen. Sometimes we can't. But we have the conversation about what, what do we want to create together? And I think it's incredibly important to be having, <laughs> to be checking in with, how do you want this night to go? What would make mm -hmm. you really happy right now? What can I do to serve you? And oftentimes when I serve her, she, it just doubles her desire to want to serve me. Yeah. I think that's challenging this, this other myth as well that we have about men and their, the way that they're sexual, which is like they, a lot of guys just, you know, play into this role of the, being the penetrator of being the, being the person who's dominant in the bedroom or being the person who's, who's sexually active, I suppose. And it's kind of, you know, there's the, the reverse gendered stereotype, which is the, the woman who's passive or who's um, receptive or who's um, you know, receiving the, the penetration. And, and that's a very like narrow script, almost like you said, right? It goes, goes straight from quote unquote foreplay to penetration, you know, um, you know, intercourse, penile vaginal intercourse to ejaculation to, to, you know, roll over have a cigarette and fall asleep right it's it's like a very narrow linear way of of experiencing 
your sex and your sex life and um and both you know, both people in in that couple relationship tend to fall into that that narrative if there's no conversation being had if you're not asking those questions right we just kind of assume for example that men just want to fuck right and that they don't want all this they don't well they, not that i don't want but they don't need all this extra stuff they don't need the sensuality they don't need the candles and the massage and the oil and all this other you know stuff because men's desire is presumably very simple right and and they just want to they can just get an erection and get hard and get off you know that's that's the way masculine sexuality is being portrayed you know through the media through porn for example through music videos um, and just reinforced by by the locker room and, and by the by the men that we talk to so that question what what do you what do you want what do you desire for a lot of for a lot of people in general but I'll, I'll stick to speaking about men specifically a lot of men can't answer that because they've never really explored what it is that they might desire what it is that they might find pleasurable other than just penetration or other than just stimulation on the genitals right there's an there's a, a very typical way that a lot of guys will uh, tell me that they that they masturbate that they self-pleasure when I ask them it's it's you know uh, sitting at a computer screen um, you know, kind of hunched over with a one hand on a mouse and the other hand on their cock and uh, the other the other way is like you know okay maybe sitting on a couch or lying down with a phone in one hand and the other hand on their cock or in a shower fantasizing about uh, a previous you know quote-unquote conquest or some fantasy um, often with their eyes closed you know again um, touching their cock and the problem with with self-pleasuring this way or masturbating this way is that you know guys are guys are just kind of reinforcing this pattern in their body of going straight for genital stimulation which then translates as you know penetration straight away going straight to penetration when they're being sexual but also being up in their head as well being preoccupied with with either imagery or thoughts or fantasy or whatever's going on you know in terms of internal dialogue rather than actual sensations and and feelings and and whatever's coming up for them in their body uh you know not not only just in their in their genitals but actually in their in their whole body right their whole body can experience pleasure so yeah that i i think you know if there's there's guys you know kind of listening to to us talking about slowing right down and doing sensual massage and lighting candles a lot of them will be going at least, you know, from what I've observed, a lot of guys will go, oh, fuck, what is, you know, what's all that? I don't, I don't need all that. I, I just, you know, I just, I just need to, to just jack off and I can, I can get myself off that way. Um, because it's just been reinforced, right? It's just, it's just something that just over and over again, guys do. And, and they're wet, you know, as men, we're told that's all we need. We're told that we have a high sex drive and we just get an erection and we just get off. That's, you know, we're told that our, our desire and our arousal is simple. Whereas it's women's desire, which is complex, women's arousal, which is complex and needs, you know, needs to be, the mood needs to be set and the candles need to be lit. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really strong challenge to the, the standard narrative of, of um, masculine sexuality. So um, I love that we're talking about it, man. <laughs> What's all that? <laughs> What's all that? What the, yeah, what the hell is that? What the fuck? <laughs> I don't need candles. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'll light candles on my own. For sure, and I'll put music on. Um, I I have I'm no longer looking at pornography. It's been it's been a while now. 
um, it, it's not useful. I, I was using pornography to escape, right? Mm. So it, I've been creating content for a long time. Sometimes I would just get really bogged down and I would just turn to porn to change the way I felt. And that's not how I want to use sexuality. I don't want to use it to change the way I feel. Of course, I mean, I want to use it to connect, which is going to change the way I feel, right? But I don't want to use it mm. because I'm feeling something bad and I want to be feeling something good, right? So now in my life, yeah. when I feel something bad, I just sit with that and I let it do what it needs to do. And then I will separate that from pleasure. You know, out of all those examples, the phone, the computer, and the shower, if those were the only three available, the shower is probably the better one because you're not using external stimulus. Like you're actually using your your brain, which is better than just looking at pornography. But I also agree that dropping into the body, that's what we should be doing. And I don't like to use the word should, but dropping into the body means that you're more aware of the sensations that are happening, means that you're tuning into what feels good for you. And then you can answer that question, hey, what do you like? And you can answer it with more than just, oh, I like getting my dick sucked or I like penetrating, Mm. right? I like it when you use flat, broad strokes to massage my thighs because I've done that before and it felt good. Or I like Mm. it when you, you know, pinch my nipples just a little bit because I've tried that and it feels good. So what you're talking about is spending time cultivating and becoming aware of sensations in the body that feel good to you so that you can then describe that to your partner instead of just saying like, I don't know, you know, you know, sex. What do you like? You know, I just like sex. (laughs) Yeah. Shit. Yeah, man. That's the, that's the whole, the whole joy of, of self-pleasuring, right? Is that you get to figure out what it is that you that you yourself find pleasurable, right? That's why I love the reframe of turning masturbation into actually self-pleasuring because masturbation has all this baggage and connotation to it. You know, for a lot of guys, it just means those three scenarios I've described before. It's just all genital oriented, often ejaculation oriented. But self-pleasure is, you know, it could be anything. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be genital oriented at all. It could be it doesn't even have to be kind of stimulation oriented. It could just be, you know, kind of sitting and being like, you know, just a, a quiet sit is sometimes really pleasurable for me if I've just had a huge day on the computer or something like that. So yeah, just learning what it is that you find pleasurable, what you actually enjoy, not only sexually, but just also in general and being able to then communicate that to your partner. Um, that's, that's why a lot of a lot of the work that I try and do with men is like solo based first because you like you have to practice before the big game, you know, is the analogy that I use. You've got to learn your own body first and your own turn on and turn offs and get really comfortable with that and overcome the shame and guilt and fear around connecting and building up a relationship and, and becoming your own best lover before you start to then introduce that uh, into, into a, a relationship with another person. I think there's at least in my opinion forming that relationship with yourself has to come before starting to form that sexual relationship with another person i'm reminded of what you were talking about uh about men traditionally you know the myth that they are active and penetrators and women are passive and receptors or receivers and i've been experiencing and playing with being more receptive 
which means that my partner's being more active. And I got to say, man, it feels so good mm. to just not have to be the active participant and to be like in charge of everything. And so now, of course, we're like letting go of that more and more. And there's also this idea that, you know, my partner still really likes it, the fact that I'm active and dominant, right? Because she can relax into her feminine femininity and I can just sort of like roar into my masculinity. But putting that aside sometimes and flipping the roles feels incredibly relaxing. Like for me to just be able to sit back and not do anything. I remember we had like a two-hour lovemaking session. I think our sessions are about two to three hours. For us, a quickie is one hour. If we only have an hour, we call that a quickie. So that's yeah. the minimum. I remember having like a two-hour lovemaking session where I didn't do anything. You know, we talked about what I would really like. And I said, I just don't really want to do anything. I'm low energy. I don't, I feel sick. And she was like, I would love to just shower you with attention for two hours. And it was incredible to just be able to turn off my mind and to just be there and not do anything. It was mind blowing. Mm. It was really, I've never experienced that before. And a lot of emotion came up, you know, this idea that I'm basically giving myself to this person and trusting her to, to take care of me in whatever way makes sense for her. It was huge. It was a really huge experience. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine, man. It's um, yeah, it's really a beautiful thing to be able to surrender into another person and into that container that you've created for the two or three or four of you, whoever is in that experience at the time. And yeah, there's a lot of resistance, I think, for for guys to do that, right? Because they're holding on to this idea that they need to be dominant. Um, in the bedroom or the you know the person in charge in the bedroom but um, being able to let go and say and you know to have the courage to be like look I'm actually not feeling up to that you know expression of sexuality at the moment I can't you know I'm maybe I'm I've had a big day or I'm exhausted I'm spent and I, sh- I actually just want to kind of you know receive and be here like that's a, a tough thing for guys to ask because it again challenges that standard narrative that they're supposed to be the person in charge um and and i'm not surprised a lot of things came up for you in that session man because a lot of a lot of things do come up when you when you have to receive when you have to you know give yourself um over to a person uh, in such a way so there's um yeah there's there's a really beautiful uh framework that is put together by uh, an amazing teacher called Betty Martin, which is, uh, she calls it the wheel of consent. Um, and it very, very basically, I'll, I'll kind of explain is like there's two, these two axes. One is uh, a spectrum of the, the person who's the doer and the person who's having something done to them. And then the other axis is the person who's giving pleasure and the person who's receiving pleasure so very like very typically the person who's doing something say for example i'm giving a massage to my fiance i'm the person doing the massage my fiance is the person who's having the massage done to her and i'm the person giving pleasure because i'm giving the massage and my fiance is receiving the pleasure from me as i give the massage to her 
but we can start to play around with that dynamic. Like, for example, there's certain massages, maybe with hot oil and really sensual and really slow, uh, where I get way more pleasure from the massage because I actually really enjoy giving massage and touching my partner's body that way. That I'm the person doing the the activity, or I'm the person doing the the uh, massage, but I'm the person who's receiving the pleasure. She's actually the person giving the pleasure to me um, because I'm the person that's really enjoying and getting a lot out of that massage, maybe even more so than she is. So there's this like really interesting dynamic that we can start to play around with um, when we start to let go of those roles of being the the person who's um, in charge and and giving pleasure. Right. That's a, that's a very common um, a common assumption that guys have is that they're responsible for giving their partner pleasure they're responsible for making her come for making her orgasm a lot of men feel like the the responsibility is on their shoulders because it falls back into that gendered stereotype uh, of of men being active and women being passive so once you start to kind of disentangle all that and start to kind of um let go of it and not grip onto that narrative so tightly you can start to you know, play around with that dynamic of giving, receiving and, and doing and being done too and, and start to notice how there's like way more way more avenues to explore pleasure and to explore these experiences with with one another. I love Betty Martin's Wheel of Consent. Um, I think it's a really great tool. There's also this idea that touch me how you, th- you think I want to be touched, then touch me how you want to touch me and then touch me how you would want to be touched. And you can start playing with these different ways of providing pleasure that are outside of the script. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's the three minute game by Harry Faddis. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> it just, I love resources. So if anyone's just listening to that, they can be like, yep, cool. I'll Google that right now. Well, all, so all of these resources are going to be in the show notes, by the way. Um, Speaking of games, mm. Yes, No, Maybe is uh, a resource that we'll also include in, in, these, in the show notes, which is a list of acts, sexual acts, that you and your sexual partner can do. So what I did was my lady and I went to a bar and it was, I, it was a total surprise to her. I said, you know, let's have a date. I've got a game that I want to play with you. We have to do it in a public place where we can speak privately, but where there's also a chance that others will hear us. And so we met at this bar that wasn't too loud. And then I pulled out the, the printouts and it's basically lists of sex acts right? So BDSM, candle dripping, like all sorts, everything, you know, like nipples, pinched, sucked, licked, like all this. It's pretty comprehensive. And then there's also other pages of, you know, how I want you. you, I love it when you refer to my genitals as. I hate it when you refer to my genitals as and all sorts of other questions like that. And we spent three hours going over this. So like we spent, you know, maybe 30 minutes filling the thing out and then we'd go and talk about them. And I learned so much and she learned so much about my sexuality. I mean, I learned so much about my own sexuality, just filling the thing out. So if you're not partnered or you don't currently have a sexual partner, you can do the yes, no, maybe to figure out what it is that you want. And so this might be useful for anybody who's curious about what turns them on and, or what they would like to try. 
And I learned a whole bunch of stuff about, you know, what my lady likes to her genitals to be referred as. And I was able to share like, you know, uh, call it a cock, never call it a pee-pee. You know, speaking of things that turn turn on and turn off. And it's such a fun game to begin to get to know somebody and to get to know yourself. And, and also, yes, no, maybe it's just the beginning, right? Because we can play off of all of the things that we get to learn about each other and, and new things that we can do together. It's a really fun game. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing, man. I um, haven't heard of that resource before, but I'm going to have to go check it out now. That sounds awesome. What are some other myths that we have or that we hold around male sexuality? Yeah, we've touched on touched on a couple of couple of really good ones. Like all of them can be, um, I guess, all of them overlap as well. Um, but there's like this, yeah, this idea that men feel like they're responsible for their their partner's pleasure like i said something a little bit controversial a while ago on social media which was that men consider their partner's pleasure more important than their own Mm. and i went on to clarify this to say that there is a difference at least in my opinion between pleasure and gratification and the and we've and we've kind of spoken about this a little bit already. Is this like a lot of men fall into this category or narrative of like only expecting gratification from their sexual experience? So like only thinking that they can have like this five second genital oriented ejaculation peak kind of orgasm that's not very fulfilling. Um, that's gratifying, yeah, sure, but not not really an expanded state of pleasure. Uh, a lot of guys also in this category will then go, oh, I am, um, and the way that they'll talk about their their sexual experiences is like, oh, I made her, I made her come or I made her scream this many times or, you know, she, I knew that she was orgasming and, and whatever. There's this like, I guess this dynamic where they, where they put perceived female pleasure or the perceived pleasure of the, their female partner above their actual you know simple gratification and this kind of can play out in a number of ways because really it's a way of attaching ego to to sexuality or sexual experience for for these guys that there's a lot of men that will you know will get gratification or get pleasure um or or will really boost their their ego boost their you know get they'll get their man points their masculinity affirmed by how many orgasms their partner has and then this leads into uh this leads into women for example faking orgasms because they don't want to hurt their partner's feelings or you know they want the um they want the sexual experience to to be over sooner um so this like this kind of like dynamic, uh, I suppose, is 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 what I'm getting at here of, of like guys thinking that they can only experience this like five second you know, peak of, of pleasure. Um, so they put their female partners, you know, and I say perceived very deliberately here because a lot of these guys don't necessarily know what they're doing or if they, they do, they think they're God's gift to, to women in a way. Um, and they put that that female pleasure above their 
their own pleasure. They just focus on their gratification and they focus on this perceived pleasure that that their partner has. Um, and then they go and brag about it to to their mates. So, like when I start to start to talk to to people in general, guys specifically about taking responsibility for your own pleasure and not being responsible for your partner's pleasure. This is like kind of the dynamic that I try and get guys to to break away from and start to realize that they can actually they can actually experience full bodied you know non ejaculatory multiple orgasms and the more aware they are of their body and the more aware they are of the nuances of their pleasure and their stimulation and sensations the more attuned they're going to be the more um, aware they're going to be of their partner's pleasure so even though they're not responsible for giving her orgasms and making her come they are responsible for helping facilitate her experience you know by by communicating and being open and and listening to her and giving her what she needs and she'll you know, reciprocate because you're aware of what you need and you're aware of what what pleasure you can have um so this is like so i got i got in trouble there was a little bit of it was, it was quite controversial when i said that you know men men consider women's pleasure more important than their own because you know of the of the orgasm gap and this idea that men orgasm more often than women do but these orgasms that men are having are not they're not super pleasurable they're they're gratifying yes but in terms of pleasure that them that that person that person in the male body can experience they're nowhere near what they could be experiencing so that's my like um that's my mission i suppose is to try and like break down that dynamic and get people aware of it well, I think men experience pleasure by making their partner come. They they get it. I think some men get a lot of validation, much needed validation, because they're they're not getting. There's feelings. There's uh, feelings of lack of self worth, right? And and if I didn't mm. make my partner come, then I'm not strong and virile, and I'm not a good love maker, and and there's just a bunch of fake stories tied into that. It was a huge game changer for me when I realized that my partner's orgasm is not my job. Yep. When I, it's not, I don't have to take that on. My job is to be present as much as possible, to speak my truth, to learn how to talk about my desires, needs, fears, and boundaries, to be curious about my partner's desires, needs, fears, and boundaries. And to create an environment that is conducive to intimacy and connection. That's my job. Mm. There's nothing about orgasm there at all. Yeah. But it turns out <laughs> when you put all that on the table, the orgasms come. They come and they come and they come and they come. Uh, that is an environment that's conducive to pleasure. And oftentimes when you can relax into that, which if you create an environment of safety, you can often really relax and safety equals, paradoxically, safety equals um, arousal and also danger equals arousal sometimes as well. But when you're talking about uh, two people coming together and having consensual sex, we want to create an environment that's conducive to pleasure. And it doesn't have to involve orgasm at all. Like we don't have to focus on it and just let it come if it comes. and relinquish control yeah yeah there's there's this like really profound 
practice called pleasure mapping, which is just exactly as the the name suggests. It's mapping pleasure across either your body or your partner's body, either alone or, or obviously with your partner. And and the I guess the profoundness comes from taking orgasm off the table, right? The the whole process is like just starting to be focused on pleasure and the and the journey of exploring and mapping pleasure rather than being goal oriented and focused on achieving something. So it's a really amazing way of like shifting your shifting your focus and shifting the the way that you're experiencing your your sexuality in that moment. So I highly recommend um, I highly recommend to, to everyone starting to do a, a pleasure mapping practice either by themselves or with a partner by just like literally taking a minimum 20 minutes to not even focus on their genitals but just to kind of like build some arousal in their body so they feel a little bit turned on they feel a bit sexually charged and then you know use these amazing tools that we've got on the end of our arms to start experimenting with different types of touch through you know through the whole body you can start at the toes and work your way up to the crown of the head and and notice what you feel do you like for example you mentioned earlier having your your thighs you know firmly rubbed or do you like having your knees scratched or your nipples tweaked or whatever it might be um you know and, and make the focus pleasure you know what stimulation gives you pleasure and and make note of that uh, and then um you know, take take that orgasm off the table your, your job is not to achieve orgasm you your intention is not to uh, to to be goal oriented in any sense. Your intention is to to just notice and to just observe and to just make make notes. Really treat it as an experiment. Treat it as a as a data collection exercise. Yeah, and if orgasm is on the table, then great. If it if it happens to come to the party, great. We're not going to kick it out of bed, you know. I was reading and have been really enjoying Diana Richardson's work, and she has a book called Slow Sex, which is uh, exactly what it sounds like. It's it's about how to slow slow it down, and she I mean she goes even as far as suggesting that the initial penetration, you know, penis vagina, should last fifteen minutes, just the initial penetration, right? So we're talking slowing down to that level, but. Uh, what's another interesting part of of her 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 book is this idea of making sex. I'm going to try to describe this: turning the focus inward and not partner focused. Right. So as you have sex, really feel have sex because it feels good for you, not because it's what your partner wants or or what it feels feels good to them. Which is kind of controversial, right? Like, oh, you, it, this to some people might sound very selfish. Yeah. The way I see it is, oh, okay, sex is a way to come back to self that you can do with somebody else. And if that person is also doing the same practice of coming back to self, mm. then we've got two people that are focused on themselves. So it feels good to both of them individually, but they're doing it together. So together, it also feels good. Mm. And I love this. I love this idea of like coming back to self, like what feels good for me? And can we find something that feels good for both of us? 
And of course, I'm not saying that there isn't times when you will do something because your partner wants, that's what your partner wants. I'm not saying don't do that, but prioritize activities and sensations and acts that feel good to you so that you can cultivate that awareness of these are the things that feel good to me. And then together we can do this, we can do this together. We can both feel good at the yeah, same time. Like you said, if, if your partner's doing the same thing and you have that open channel of communication, if something that you've suggested, which makes you feel good, doesn't necessarily make them feel good, then hopefully they'll be voicing their boundaries and voicing their limitations. And you can come to an agreement about what makes both of you feel good because you're both taking responsibility for your own pleasure. Yeah, this is huge. This is a big, this is a big shift. This is a big game changer in how people have sex. Yeah, there's so many ways of so many ways of doing it as well, which is amazing. Like I love the idea of slowing the initial penetration down to, to 15 minutes. That's such an amazing yeah, just such an amazing idea. Like something that I tell guys like down the track of, of working with them is like when you start to to explore penetration with your partner, like getting to the point where you're able to notice that your partner's vulva or your partner's uh, vagina actually invites you in like there's a really once you pay attention and once you slow down to that point and build that arousal and build that anticipation and pleasure up for both of you like you can visibly and energetically notice a a a drawing in an invitation of the vulva like it's a this beautiful kind of opening and and almost engulfing of the of the um of the cock which is amazing like getting to that point is is like you know it's beautiful it's like it's an art you know it's it's amazing it's totally worth cultivating i mean i know what you're talking about diana richardson talks about this in the book that there should not be any penetration until that moment until that moment that the that that your partner is is like drawing you in Mm. There shouldn't be any penetration. I mean, there can be, and there often is. But if we're committed to slowing down, then we should wait for that for that invite, right? Where where your female partner is ready, ready, and not only ready, but like you know, craving you. Mm. Um, that's a beautiful feeling. That that to me feels more exciting than when my partner orgasms. Yeah. Right, that invitation in is a lot more exciting. So, a lot of the people that listen to this podcast are women, and I'm curious, what can you suggest to women who have sex with men on how they can start to talk about this kind of stuff or invite their partners to get curious about their own sexuality? Mm, this is a huge question and to offer some like very simple advice i would i'd suggest you know and we kind of covered a couple of things today i'd suggest looking at some some resources looking at some things that are maybe conversation starters to um to take to the table to take to the to the male partners and and to be really mindful of, of creating that, that safe container, of creating that space to be non-judgmental, to be 
free of expectation as well. Something that's, um, I think, a hindrance to this type of work is having an expectation for the right answer. So going in there expecting your partner to to have the right answer and then your partner saying something completely different and then getting upset with that. So if you're able to create a space where he feels comfortable and safe to to say what is going on for him, to say maybe what he's feeling and for that to you know, maybe be a bit challenging or a bit confronting or be something you weren't expecting to hear and not being shaming about that and not being judgmental about that is it goes a long way because that allows allows that guy to open up allows that man to 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 be a bit more vulnerable allows him to crack open a little bit more so um and that's i and i'll preface all of that by saying it's not an easy thing to do Hmm. and it won't just happen you know with a click of a finger overnight i've had women tell me it's taken 10 years for example to to finally, you know, and slowly get their man to to come out of his shell and to start sharing, to be vulnerable and to start exploring these things. And obviously I'm not saying it'll take that long, but be aware of the fact that it's not an overnight phenomenon and, and that it's a continuing process of cultivating that safety, of cultivating that trust, of cultivating that vulnerability. Um, so yeah, it's just about having these little conversations and 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 receiving those answers and receiving those those feedbacks or, or whatever it is that you're looking for from your partner with without judgment and without expectation. Yeah, I love that, the creating a, a safe container. And I can imagine that that can be done, you know, with proper framing. I really like this this focus on framing a conversation before having it. And I think the way I would frame this is is to, you know, reach out to your partner and say something along the lines of, Hey, I want to talk to you about something that's actually really hard for me to talk about because I don't really have a lot of experience doing it. And it's also kind of a sensitive topic. And I might fuck this up, but I want to do it because I love you and I care about you and I care about us. And I want us to be even more connected than we are. I love our sex and I'd love for our sex to to have a, an openness where we can explore new stuff. And so I want to have this conversation with you about our sex, our sex life and your sexuality and, and how it connects to my sexuality. And, and so this is a conversation I'd like to have with you. You know, what do you think? Um, as, as an opener for the conversation, right? And sometimes I say that the, the framing takes longer than the actual conversation. This isn't the case because the conversation around sexuality is complex and it's, and like you said, it could, it could evolve over 10 years or the lifetime of the couple. But the framing at, of, I love you and I, and I want to be even more connected than I am. And I want our sex to be even better than it already is. It's, it's great. I want it to be even better. And I know that there's areas that we haven't explored and I'd like to explore exploring those with you. I love that man and and coming from that that place of love right of being like look I'm I want to have this conversation this tough conversation because because I value our relationship because I value I value you and I I want to connect deeper to you and I want to you know keep it pleasure oriented as well right I want to experience more pleasure with you and I'm I'm loving you know our sex life at the moment and I think there's so much more that we could 
explore and, and experience together, I think, yeah, is an amazing is amazing frame and, and setting up that conversation for sure. And to, and to say, look, this is a hard conversation to have and I might fuck this up because I've never really done this before, but you're worth having this conversation. We are worth it. Yes. So let's, mm. let's, if you're willing to get uncomfortable with me, then I'm willing to make the first step. Fuck yeah, man. Love that. Cam, where can we find Sean. you and your work? <laughs> you can find the majority of my work and, and a lot of my content on my Instagram page, which is at the Cam Fraser and my website which is where you can have a look at my courses or um, book a, a free initial discovery call with me is www.karma which is k-a-m-a karmawellnessperth.com what so i have a final question for you what does love mean to you love to me is commitment passion intimacy and respect and uh, love for me personally is relationship is the relationship i have with my amazing fiance is the relationship i have with my amazing family my relationship with my friends my relationship with myself my relationship with my clients and my colleagues so all of those relationships I bring love into and I, I, I bring those four elements, commitment, passion, intimacy, and respect into. And that's what love is for me. I love that. Thank you so much for your time, Cam. Hey, lovebirds. Thank you for spending this hour and a half with Cam and myself this week. There were a lot of resources in this episode. Please go to the show notes for links to everything we talked about. And have a beautiful week. <laughs>